We are wrapping up our series on identity, and today I am wanting to address um, an area that I think is in danger of being the most neglected, the most taken for granted, uh, the easiest to be distracted from in terms of our identity, and that is that we are actually made for eternity. We are eternal people. We are actually eternal beings. What that means, don't get freaked out, is that, is that you are born once, but but you, you don't actually die. Like, 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 yes, your body does. Some people are looking very nervous. Your body will cease to exist this side of eternity, but we are actually made for eternity. We are created to be eternal beings, and it is incredible how much that can affect our perspective when seen in a healthy way. So not something that is... Uh, somber and melancholic and terrifying and something that, that should cause anxiety. It is something that should actually excite us, give us perspective, help us to clarify our values and our priorities, um, and to kind of realize the, the opportunities that we have and the fact that they are limited. You might be familiar with the name Billy Graham, probably one of the best-known Christian leaders or statesmen from the, the 20th century. He passed away five years ago at the age of 99. That's a pretty significant Achievement, in my opinion. I would have tried for 100, but, but, but he made it to 99. Um, I'm joking. I'm not sure I want to make it to my 90s. But anyway, at 99, five years ago, and he was quoted as saying the following. I love this. One day you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't you believe it? On that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. I've just changed addresses. Don't you believe I've died? I've changed addresses. And so there are a couple of thoughts that I want to just leave with us today. This is a slightly different message. You'll see that there's some media and some interactive stuff just to simply uh, shift our, our perspective and to help us see this in a positive light and to actually live with eternity in mind. The first very important idea is that an eternal identity reminds us that this is not my home. We're not home yet. When, when we feel that this life is all there is to life, it's easy to want to, to, want to put our roots down and to, and to make everything about our lives just about this life. So then it makes sense that, that to a disproportionate extent, it'll be about my, my ultimate comfort, my ultimate experiences, my, my ultimate convenience. But when we realize that actually this is just the on-ramp to the real deal, this is the probation before before the real responsibility, there's a different perspective where we actually want to live in such a way that there are ripple effects for eternity. Jesus even made the comment about how we even view our money, that, that we store up treasures in heaven, treasures that can't actually be degraded by moths and rust in Matthew chapter 6. This is not our home. Hebrews 13 verse 14 says that this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, and especially chapter 11, some have called it the, the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith, where, where the, the author of the book of Hebrews goes through quite a lengthy list of people that experienced ridiculous, significant, miraculous things because of their faith in God. But then, the second half of the book of, of, the chapter, of chapter 11, which, by the way, I've got to say I've heard preached on a lot less than the first half, the second half is about how people didn't see it all, this side of eternity. Some were sawn in half, which isn't like an advertising logo that we normally want to you know, 
invite people to church with. Um, like there were things that, that did not come to completion or fruition this side of eternity, but yet they had their faith in God, which reminds us that faith is not about having faith in faith. It's about having faith in God. Faith in faith is where I think that if I can just believe it hard enough, I can get what I want. If I can believe hard enough, I can achieve it. If I blab it, I can grab it. I can name it and claim it. And, and so there's this idea that, that, that I can have any desire I want, and if I believe it hard enough, then it's almost like God is the genie, and I just rub the bottle. And Hebrews 11, the second half of the chapter, challenges that radically, saying, no, no, we have our faith in God because we actually have an eternal perspective. If we're only looking at a temporal perspective, well, then we're going to get very angry, very, very, I mean, disappointment's fine, but there's going to be like a disillusionment. It's okay to be disappointed, by the way. It's okay to experience pain and grief and, and to be unsure and to, and to work through different emotions, but, but we will not be disillusioned if we are reminded that this is not all there is to life, that we're not home yet. The author of the book of Hebrews goes on in chapter 11, verse 13, to say, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They hadn't seen it all yet, but they were still living by faith because their faith was in God, not in faith. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting, here's the phrase I want you to take note of, that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. If you are a follower of Christ, to some extent, you are a foreigner and a stranger. Now, not in the context that many of us would mean when we say someone's strange, like, God, oh, strange. No, no. This is like strangers and you're different. I think some versions, uh, some English translations even use the word like a peculiar people yeah. to describe the fact that there is something different about someone that has a different home, a different value system, living for a different kingdom, ultimately trying to serve a different king. We are not home yet. Verse 14 goes on to say, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We are foreigners and strangers if you are following Jesus. There is something that's going to be a little bit different about you, but it's different in the best way. It's different in some of the countercultural ways where there's grace and mercy and forgiveness. There's, there's a difference in a countercultural way where there's a generosity without strings attached and where it's not just about what you can get out of it, but it's because you actually consider yourself blessed and you want to be a blessing to someone else. You've experienced the kindness of God and you want to be kind to someone else even if they don't deserve it. It is countercultural. You are actually living in a different kingdom, and we are trying to serve and please a different king. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3 verse 20 says that we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using this, some of us are like, thank you, Jesus. Anybody? Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. One day, you will have a new body. You will have a new nature. This body, this current body is a tent. One day, you're going to have a home. 
There will be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more bills to pay, no more crime, no more conflict, no more load shedding. That was the response of the first service too. Like, we're okay with crime and conflict, but load shedding. Like, like that's what we're looking forward to, you know, being, being, being delivered from. That means that I'm not primarily a citizen of earth where I'm fighting to claw my, myself towards my piece of the pie where I'm fighting against eight billion other people. No, I am a citizen of heaven and I am an ambassador on his behalf. So wherever you are tomorrow, wherever you are this afternoon, at home, at school, in your community, you are an ambassador, and an ambassador doesn't, doesn't go about their own business, they're going about the business of the person who they represent. When we live with an eternal perspective, when we are reminded that this is not our home, that we are citizens of heaven, that our inheritance, that we are actually heirs of the kingdom, we will live differently. Secondly, an identity, an eternal identity reminds us to live like we're dying. Now that can so easily be interpreted through a morbid lens. I don't mean it in a morbid sense whatsoever. I mean it through the sense that we have perspective that we do have limited time. And I think the older that a person gets, much, much older than what I am, the more aware they become that time is limited. When, when we're younger, there's a sense of, you know, our, our perspective subconsciously is that we've got forever ahead of us. But Moses prayed a prayer recorded in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, where he says, he's praying to God. He says, God, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Moses is saying, God, if you'll help me to remember that, that my time on earth is limited, that that this isn't all there is to life, that, that, that I have a, a limited assignment and a limited amount of time assigned to me that's gonna give me wisdom in terms of perspective, values, picking my battles, remembering what matters most, remembering what I'm giving my time to, my energy to, my treasure to. In the New International Version, it puts it this way, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We will live wisely if we are in a healthy, constructive way reminded that our time is limited, that we actually want to live as, because you are dying, just so you know. Like, that's not a morbid thought. Like, like we're all moving towards the end of this life, right? Some of you are very young, and so that might feel like a far off. Some of you don't feel like it's that far away. And hopefully that's a healthy thought. Like, I am convinced that not only can we, but we should have an enormous amount of peace at the idea of passing on to eternity if you're in a relationship with God. This isn't something that should cause us stress and anxiety. It should actually give us peace. And so from a place of peace and from security, for us to be asking God to give us this perspective, to help us to number our days, to help us remember the brevity of life. Guys, it, man, it's gonna be over like, the, it is so hard for us to live with a real sense of, I've got six months left, or six years left, or 16 years left. It's so hard to, to, to manage that tension in a, in a healthy way, without it causing anxiety and depression, but rather being, okay, God, I've got limited time. What's up? Like, what's next? My answer is yes. What's the question? What's the mission? 
How can I represent you well as your ambassador? There's a song that was written by Chris Allen several years ago. Some of you might remember when American Idol was still cool. This is about, I think, 13 years ago. He was actually a youth pastor who won the competition, and he went on to write this song. I want to just show you the first kind of half of the song, because I want this melody to be humming and haunting you in a good, in a good way in uh, the week ahead. So pay attention to the screen and listen up. Yes, there is 86,400 seconds in a day. I, I made sure that that is accurate. But, but what a great perspective for us to be, to be asking ourselves from time to time, again, without this being a heavy, dark blanket, but, but something that is a reference point, that gives us, gives us perspective. God, am I, am I living for what matters most? Am I living for what's going to matter for eternity? And here's the good news. That's going to look very, very different from person to person. So, so please understand your age, your stage of life, your circumstances, your responsibilities, your opportunities, your lack of opportunities, your personality. This is going to look different for each person. And that's why I say that this shouldn't have to be something that causes anxiety. It actually comes from a place of peace where we're saying, God, you've made me. You know the good works you want me to walk in for the remainder of my life. Help me to walk with you one day at a time. That I'm living with an eternal perspective, because I do think that if we knew, if, if we went to the doctor and we were diagnosed and, and the prognosis is that we've got six weeks to live, I think all of us would agree that that would bring an incredible amount of clarity very quickly in terms of what mattered most, right? Or if we knew we had six months to live, again, it would bring clarity. Six years, we might still be tempted to like, you know, wait for a little bit later in the equation. 
But I think if we knew that it was limited, I just think that it would bring a healthy, constructive clarity. And excuse me, we read this in the New Testament when we see some of Jesus' earliest followers who who put their suffering, their persecution, their martyrdom into perspective because they were living like they were dying. They were living with an eternal perspective. I I remember as a 19-year-old, give or take, um, shortly after really going all in in terms of wanting to follow God, coming across a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where Paul says that I consider my life worth nothing to me. I consider my life worth nothing to me if, if only I can fulfill the purpose to which God has called me. And I remember as a 19-year-old thinking, yes, like, I don't think I can say that yet. I mean, I was passionate about God. I was, I was all in. But I don't think I was quite all, all in yet at that stage. And I'm saying you look at a statement like that from a man who'd been shipwrecked multiple times, beaten and left for dead, imprisoned multiple times, whipped like Jesus was whipped, three, I think on three different occasions. This was a man that endured incredible persecution, and he's like, guys, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I can full, fulfill the purpose which God is calling me because he was living with an eternal perspective. He had a healthy identity in God. And again, he wasn't some hardcore, I think depressive, melancholic martyr. I think that Paul was energized by the mission. We we read another account of the New Testament where he's been arrested. Him and Silas have been beaten. They're, They're in prison. They're in chains. It's midnight, and they're found to be singing to God. Not singing some country, western, you know, melon, like, like my life sucks kind of, no, no, like, like because there was an eternal, pers- God, if you allow me to die now, I get to be with you. That's amazing. But I also want to finish the purpose for which you've called me, he says. So, like, I'm, like he uses language in the New Testament, like I'm torn. I want to go be with Jesus, but also, I also want to finish the, the purpose for which you've called me. Someone like that has got an energy, a drive, a chutzpah. That is not, that is not this, this dark, heavy cloud hanging over his head. He's like, in fact, in fact, it actually speaks of freedom. Paul was free. He's like, what's the worst you can do? Take my life? Go ahead. Seriously, that was Paul's perspective. The short letter in the New Testament to the Philippians was written by Paul from prison where he keeps saying, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Pray about the things you need. You can have peace in Him. Because He had an eternal perspective. There's another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where He's basically saying, like, like, like don't believe these clowns who say that, that there's no eternity, that there's no resurrection, just eat, drink, and be merry. He's like, like, no, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There is way too much at stake. In fact, it's actually in that context that He says a statement that is well known where He says that bad company corrupts good character. That statement we use in many different contexts to warn people about their friends, but he's saying this in the context of don't you dare believe these clowns who are telling you that eternity isn't real and that the resurrection isn't real. He's like, no, no, this stuff matters. It matters. A couple of things that I think eternal perspective will do for us. It'll clarify our values and our priorities. It'll help us to see what matters most. It affects how we use our time and talents and treasure. Some of you are familiar with one of the parables in Matthew 25 was 
perhaps more famously known as the parable of the talents, where a master goes off and entrusts uh, different servants with different amounts of money to steward well. This is, this is a picture, Jesus said, of the kingdom of God. And then one day, the master returned and got them to give an account. And it mattered how they used what they had been given. Not how they used what they hadn't been given. No, no. Only how they used what they had been given. Each person was, <clears throat> excuse me, each person, I don't need water, it's all, it's all good. Each person was given what they, what they could appropriately be entrusted with. And all the master was getting them to do was to, give an, was to give an account, a report of what they had been able to do with what they had been given. It increases the value of people and relationships. Because the reality is the only, the only thing that you see, that you come across, that will last for eternity is people. So it, it gives us perspective when it comes to people. It helps us to pick up battles. It helps us to want to be patient and kind and forgiving. It, it helps us to make sure that we're fighting the real enemy, who, by the way, is a spiritual enemy, not the person that you're getting angry with or frustrated with. An eternal perspective increases the value of people and relationships. And lastly, I believe it offers us peace and security in spite of mystery, in spite of the unknown, because we're constantly being reminded that this is not home. This is not home. And so, and so we, I am so mindful that so many people are, are having to endure suffering, pain, uncertainty, loss. And this doesn't take that away. I want to be so clear. I think sometimes in, in Christian circles, we can think that it's one or the other. No, no. There is grief. There's appropriate grief, but there's grief that has hope is again what Paul says, Paul the Apostle, in the book of Thessalonians. There is a grief that has hope. And so I think that it even offers us peace and security when we're going through mystery. It gives us perspective. If you've been with us for many, many years, you would have seen me show this video quite some time ago. I wanna show it again because I think it so clearly pictures and articulates the, the invitation and the tension that we have to live with an eternal perspective. Imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about, you're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna save, 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 so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that, and you're thinking, oh man, am I gonna get to travel? Am I gonna eat well? Am I gonna do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about th what about all this stuff? It's just it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm gonna exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible? enjoying myself as much as I can 
Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now. Just enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. late C.S. Lewis said that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Living with an eternal perspective will help us to live as though we're dying puts things into perspective. It clarifies our values and our priorities. This is not our home. We want to live like we're dying. And lastly, an eternal identity encourages us that one day we'll be with our king. One day we will be with our king. And I'm so aware, and I say this sincerely and with great compassion and hopefully encouragement, that for many of us, that's not amazing news. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't excite us about eternity. But I want to encourage you that if you stay on the journey that you're on in terms of your relationship with God, I promise you that you'll become increasingly excited, increasingly grateful, increasingly peaceful at the idea that one day you're actually going to get to experience the, the unadulterated, unfiltered, full-on presence of Jesus. Not only will there be no more tears, no more pain, no more corruption, no more crime, We will experience and be in the presence of perfect love, perfect knowledge, perfect community. It matters. It matters. Every wrong will be made right. Every tear will be wiped away. And we will live with our Savior in the new heavens and the new earth. Some of you might have heard of Timothy Keller. He pastored Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan in New York City for many, many, many years. written some wonderful books. Some of them have helped me appreciate a much deeper understanding of the grace of God and the gospel of God, especially with books like Prodigal God, and he's helped many skeptics and those that are exploring faith understand more about God and his heart and his way through the book Reason for God. Newsweek magazine many years ago called him the C.S. Lewis of the 21st century. He retired from from full-time ministry a couple of years ago, he's 72, and um, has been battling cancer for, I forget if it's the last 18 months, give or take. And then news was shared earlier this week that uh, he had another lapse and was in hospital, and then another report came that he was being released to go back home for palliative care um, because there was nothing more that the doctors could do. And he was quoted by his son as, as basically encouraging his family, like, it's, like let him go. <laughs> and his words were this, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait 
to see Jesus. For some of us, that just sounds nice. But for someone that has been growing in receiving and giving love to God for decades and decades, I promise you it is possible for you to be at a place in your life where you're like, I can't wait to see Jesus. The reason why I think this is so hard for many of us to imagine is because we live lives that are so distracted, so uh, like watered down through, through various ways of medicating and, and numbing ourselves. And, and so again, that's not my focus. My focus is to encourage you to say it is possible to live in a relationship with God where you're saying, I can't wait to be with him. I trust him. I can't wait to be in eternity. I, I don't want to go beforehand. Like, I love my people. I love my family. I love the community. I love his cause. But, but you're never going to see it as a downgrade. You're never going to see earth as the ultimate. Our best day on earth, your best day, the greatest sense of peace, love, joy, your best day on earth is nothing compared to the most... Dr- if, there is no jury day, but to the most ordinary day in eternity. It cannot be compared. No, I have seen, no mind has conceived what it is to be with Jesus. Yet we are told through Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and, and one scholar suggested that the biblical authors were trying their best to, to give language to what this is. Like, 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 like they would have visions and try and put, put terms uh, into place to describe what, what their pictures of heaven look like and what it might be like to be with God. And, and one scholar suggested it was almost like a young teenage boy trying to, exp- trying to express that first infatuation, young love for the first time, where it's like, she, she's nice, she's cool, she's ah, like, she's just nice. Like, like you don't have a word or words to describe what it is to be with our King, what it is to be in eternity. This world is nothing for us to hold on to. Our people, yes. This world, no. And so we want to recognize that this is not our home. We want to live like we're dying. And my encouragement, my my strongest invitation is to keep positioning yourself to grow in your relationship with Jesus so that for you, if you can't already, then one day you can say, I can't wait to be with Jesus. I can't wait to be with my king. He is my king. And he is greater than anything I can describe. And so I want to end with a short snippet of a sermon given 47 years ago, 1976, by Dr. S.M. Lockridge, recorded in Detroit, Michigan, entitled, That's My King. It's become an incredibly famous sermon because of how he describes Jesus. And you'll see in a moment why there's no way for me to try and put, the, put, put these sentiments into the kinds of language that he does. And again, I want you to just allow some of these words, some of these phrases to wash over you. That maybe, just maybe, we would get to see just a little bit more clearly who our king really is, who Jesus really is.
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. That doesn't stir you. I don't know, man. When he says he can't describe him, I'm like, well, you've done a pretty good job. He is indescribable. And I would say that for some of us, if only you would know how good God is, eternity wouldn't be something that we fear. Living as others isn't our home as though we're living with eternal priorities, we'd be okay with people thinking we're strange, thinking that you're unusual. 
you'd be motivated to keep living as though you're dying. Can I encourage you to stand for a few moments? Just to close your eyes, as is often our custom, just as a posture of humility, if you're comfortable doing this, open your hands, just in a posture of surrender. Because I do hope that in this moment, there might be something that God's Spirit is just wanting to whisper to you. An area of perspective that He's giving you. An encouragement, an invitation. I actually have a sense that there's some people here where God is wanting to encourage you so uniquely by saying, this is you. You are living with this eternal perspective. Don't believe the lies. Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. This is all going to make sense in eternity. This is right. This is right. I am pleased. If that's you today, I want you just to receive that, just to allow God's Word to encourage you to breathe fresh energy into your lungs, to strengthen your weak knees, to allow you to stretch out your tired hands one more time. As Hebrews 12 says, and to actually straighten, make simpler a path that other people that are handicapped are coming on after you. And because you're enduring some of the pain, because you are pushing through some of the, some of the potholes and, some of the, and having to make some of the, the construction and having to level some of the hills and fill up some of the valleys, you're saying you're going to make it easier for people that are weaker to come after you. It's okay. Don't feel alone. This is right. You might feel completely alone. You might feel like no one else understands that sense of burden and vision and perseverance. It's okay. This isn't home. You are a stranger. You are a foreigner. You are living for a different king. You are living like you're dying.